Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from John 15, 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my word abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again, and, and welcome. So glad that you can be here, whether uh, Trinity's home, or whether you got dragged along with a friend, or you found us online. We've met folks who have come into church from different points of view, and have different points of invitation, but welcome to each of you. We're glad you're here. If you are here for the first time, it is a unique Sunday to come. It is Vision Sunday. We do this around once a year uh, where we think about where we're heading as a church. And as I mentioned a little bit ago, uh, hopefully it's not novel. Uh, Hopefully it's contextualized. Hopefully it's got some sort of spin on it that says this is the right way to be thinking about the gospel and the way it's going to work itself out with real people in real time in San Diego County in 2022. But this is an, an old vision that we believe can have a fresh expression, and we hope that God is going to invite you into this, that you're going to want to be a part of what God is doing through our church, so welcome to you. Uh, let me just say our church is, is founded on the principle of questions. You know, it's interesting that Jesus had 12 disciples, and one of them has a name, and he's got a nickname, and he is the doubter, right? One of the 12, one of Jesus' own guys, spent three years with him. And had a lot of concern and had a lot of questions, and they weren't answered until after the cross and after the resurrection. And our church notices that we're in a moment of doubt and skepticism. There's a lot of cultural pressure against belief of all kinds, and in particular Christianity, right? The Christian worldview that puts Jesus at the center of everything. If you're new to Christianity, if you're exploring Christianity, at our church we're going to talk a lot about Jesus. We're going to talk about the power and presence and the reality of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that there is a triune nature to who God is, and knowing Him is what life is all about. And there are unique places in the scriptures that are going to really amplify this and build it out. I'm excited to take you into John 15 today. I think it's a perfect place to go into this vision of abiding. But let me say this as we get started. It's not enough to believe Jesus was the Son of God and shrug it off as an interesting part of Christian fiction. It's not enough to believe who Jesus is. In fact, in the Gospels, there are stories where Jesus is having a conversation with some people who are listening in on his kind of message and his his ministry, 
and they say, oh, Jesus, isn't it unique that we believe? Isn't it enough that we believe? And in some senses, he leans over and he goes, guess what? Even the demons believe. Belief is so important, and we value belief. But we also believe that what we intellectually assent to ought to shape a way of life. Now, it's not either or, but it's absolutely both and. That we lean into orthodox belief that has been passed down for a long, long time, captured in the scriptures, pointing to the centerpiece of Jesus Christ as a storyline of Christianity. The gospel means good news, not just good news back then, but good news for today, news that changes things. If it were just a metaphor, if the cross were just a metaphor, if the resurrection were just a metaphor, then just for a moment you might think to yourself, well, I can blindly woo myself into some sort of sympathy, believing that in the end, good things are going to win over bad things. That would be taking a perspective on Christianity that says, it's just a fairy tale made to make you feel better in the moment. We actually believe it actually happened. It's real. And we want to say believing that is important, but then adopting a way of life around its reality is really important. It's not lost on us that today is September 11th, of course, a very unique day, a day of tragedy and trauma, a day to look back at something that actually happened in our country and in the city of New York in particular, of course, Washington, D.C., and surrounding areas. Something happened that day. And I've had the privilege of meeting a few folks who have served our country, and two of them happened to be Navy SEALs. They were brothers. And I talked to them about their journey into the decision to become a Navy SEAL. And really, both of them pointed back to September 11th. Now, we all believe that something happened. But those two young men took that belief and they internalized it, and it drove the future of their life forward. This belief, this observation, this thing happened to us, and so it changed the trajectory of their life. Christianity should be like that. Christianity should change everything. And one of the beautiful metaphors Jesus invites us into is this theme of abiding. It's not enough to believe Jesus was the Son of God and shrug it off as an interesting part of Christian fiction. We've got to develop a way of life around this man Jesus, right? So that's what we're going to walk through, not only in Vision Sunday, but for the next uh, few weeks, even months, as we lead, get, uh, get closer to Christmas. This is going to be our fall series, kind of launching it off today with the theme of abide and abiding, but it's really all about a way of life that revolves around a person, okay? So it's not just the practices, it's the practices that ignite our hearts for Jesus. So I'm going to walk you through five takeaways from this text. Number one, we're going to look at the way, second, the fruit, third, the truth, fourth, the character, and fifth, the goal, all of it under this theme of abiding, right? So the way, the fruit, the truth, the character, and the goal. Let's go into the part one, the way. Verse one, look there with me. In verse one, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. All right. It's like a power punch right there, those couple of verses, right at the beginning. This is the seventh and final I am statement. Jesus has a self-declaration of who he is. A lot of people have opinions of Jesus. A lot of people have differing opinions, diverse opinions, conflicting opinions. Go to the source. If you're new to Christianity, being a Christian for a while, go to the source. What is Jesus' self-declaration about who he is? John has seven places where Jesus says, I am something. This is the seventh one. I am the true vine. And this is why I actually think C.S. Lewis was right. If you're familiar with C.S. Lewis, you can't just like Jesus. You can't just like him. He's either Lord of the universe or he's not very well. True story. I mean, look at what Jesus says. Look at how he begins. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Anyone who claims to be the true vine, which is really saying, I am the source of life, is either diluted or their deity. I mean, that's the only options that we have here. What we cannot conclude, as Lewis has said, is that Jesus was a pretty good guy. Don't walk out of here going, man, I like Jesus' teachings. I'm not so sure about him and his deity. Jesus is claiming to be the source of life. Hmm? He's claiming to be the source of life. He can't just be a good guy. He's either completely deluded, he's not very well, don't spend time with him, or he's the king, and everything's got to be built around him. Listen again, verse 1. I'm the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Verse 4, glance there. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Very presumptive and arrogant, if he's not actually the Son of God. I'm the vine. Let me introduce you to the Father. He's the vine dresser. You are the branches. Now, this word, I think it appears seven or eight times in this text, maybe even a little bit more if we extended it past verse 11. The word is abide. It's a big part of this moment, this sermon, and this fall for us. Abide. That word means remain. Remain in me. Some of your versions say that. Instead of abide, it says, remain in me. Remain at home in me. Set up shop and stay a while. No, no, better yet, don't just stay a while. Stay forever with me. That's what the word abide is meaning, all right? Abide, remain, come home, set up shop, don't go anywhere. Stay fixed and rooted to me. And this gives us a glimpse of the personal nature of Christianity. Atheistic humanism, which anchors its faith in science and the observable world, would say that God is a fictional creation designed to comfort the weak. Agnosticism might admit that there is a God, but he's certainly not personal, and he does not want to spend time with you. Abiding has very little to do with agnosticism. Secularism would say that God is whatever you deem worthy of your worship. 
If you're going to worship a God, totally fine. You define him. You're the source of truth. Go and worship your way. Just don't let it infringe on our lifestyle. But Christianity extends an invitation to abide, okay? Abide with God. And you might call it an invitation. If you actually look at the tense of this verb, it's a command. Maybe you want to call it a gracious God subpoena to posture your entire life around God's reality and God's presence. It's to draw near to God consistently and constantly. Dallas Willard put it like this. The first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. Leave it up there for a moment. The first and most basic thing that I'm supposed to do today when I woke up is to keep God before my mind. This is very easy to do if you don't have little kids, if you don't have any issues, if you don't have any stress, if you don't have any problems or anxiety, if Monday is like the greatest day of the week and Friday is rubbish because you just love what you do, right? We all have pressures. We all have families. We all have things to do. The first and most basic thing, Mr. Willard, that we can do and must do is to keep God before our minds not easy. And then John Mark Comer adds, but this then comes down to being in two places at once. What does he mean by that? Abiding with Jesus through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit means that when my kids wake up, all three of them, and it's chaos because we all slept in and we're making lunches, that I'm abiding with Jesus Christ as I'm making that PB&J right there in that moment. I'm abiding with Jesus. I'm in the Father's presence, right, with the chaos or the concern of paying the monthly bill. I'm going, man, has it really been 30 days since we just paid that? Back around again? It's, it's abiding in the presence of the Father when you're having an argument with the spouse. It's abiding in the presence of God at that management meeting that goes way too long, and if you were the boss, you'd be way more efficient, right? It's abiding in the Father's presence in two places at once. I'm at the board meeting, but I'm in the Father's presence, I'm at home with my children, and it's not easy, but I'm in the Father's presence. It might not feel a certain way. Please start to eliminate the definitions that you have of what it should feel like. But what they're saying is that there's a possibility of abiding all the time. God before my mind and heart. God in the pain. God in the tears. God in the trauma. God in the chaos. God, you're with me. I'm here to abide with you. Two places at once right? Abiding with Jesus. Let me give you a little story. When I was 18 years old, uh, I got to meet President George Bush Sr. I wish I had a picture. I was thinking of like, you know, those moments in Forrest Gump where you see him meeting all these historical figures, kind of sticking his hand. I think one of them he has to use the bathroom. I don't know. Go look it up. But one of them he's shaking hands with JFK. I got to shake hands with George Bush the Elder. He was fundraising for his son, who was, I think this is around 2019, 2020. Uh, I think could have been a little bit earlier. I have to go back and look at election years. Could have been 2018, but somewhere around there at the end of high school for me. He was coming through our... He was coming through our uh, a very small mountain town, and my wife and I grew up together. We were given the invitation to go and be, all right, you ready for this? The sign guy and the sign gal that said, president that way. Basically, like, parties this way. It's up the hill. It's up where the estate is. We got to hold the sign for all the wealthy people who were coming to give money, but we got invited to come up to the party afterwards, all right? All right. 
So I know that President Bush is over there with kind of the big wigs. They're making the big money and making the big deals, raising funds. Kind of the people who were giving a smaller amount were out kind of in this patio area. So this is where Danielle and I got to come and kind of mingle. But we heard that George Bush is going to come out, shake a few hands, and then he was going to leave. So of course, I'm like, oh, the president's coming out, right? I was a sign guy, but they're not going to keep me from trying to get a little bit closer to the president. Long story short, all right? Long story short, he comes out. He spends like 30 seconds out in the public, and I stick my hand in there. It's all these people who had paid to be there, but I stuck my hand in there, and I got to shake George Bush's hand, okay? Now, did he invite me to stay and hang? Did he invite me to be a part of his inner circle and his cabinet to help him make big decisions? No. I was that guy who gave a quick handshake, maybe a nod, actually not a nod. He didn't make eye contact with me, all right? He didn't even know which hand he was shaking. There's a bunch of them there, but my hand was in his hand. He's looking that way, and I'm like just smiling, okay? But so often we treat Jesus that way. It's like a quick handshake. Jesus, oh, yeah, I'm with you. But then we move on, and we don't abide. He doesn't shape our world. He doesn't shape our thought life. He doesn't shape our emotional life. We don't have anything revolving around him. We don't abide. We don't stay. We don't set up shop. We just shake a quick hand. Yep, I'm on your team, and we move on. This is not the vision of Christianity. This is not the invitation or the way. All right. Part two, the fruit. Look at verse four. The way and the fruit. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Wow. Every religious tradition, in one way or another, places an emphasis on the production of fruit in people's lives. And we might reference these as new behaviors or transform characteristics that create and establish your morality portfolio. Within religion, the participant, and I'm going to kind of contrast religion and Christianity for a moment. Within religion, the participant has to produce religious actions and activities that could be prayer, could be scripture, could be devotion, external acts of kindness, good deeds. Now, within this framework, religion becomes something that you have to master. See, forgiveness of sin and eternal life are given to the religious masters, those who have leaned into the tradition and have become proficient at it, such that they have earned a certain amount of good good behavior, good deeds, and the points have added up. Religion becomes something to master. This is not the vision of Christianity. In fact, the practices, the religion of Christianity is something to be mastered by. Let's go a little bit deeper. Notice that within the metaphors Jesus uses, he is very clear to delineate the roles of each of the players that he introduces us to. Number one, he says, my father, he's the vine dresser. He's the one who comes in to work in your life and to prune. He goes, I'm the vine and you are the branches, which means it's not the branch's job to produce the fruit. But it is the branch's job to remain connected and tethered to the vine who is the source of life. Jesus is saying the source of life is actually me. 
In religion, it's on you. You got to produce, you got to be the religious master. Jesus says, I'm creating an ecosystem for you to actually be mastered by it. It's going to take over all of you. Remain tethered to me, and something good, this nutrient, is going to be shared between the vine and the branch. Jesus says it a little bit differently in John 17. He says, All that I have is yours, and all that you have is mine. What he's saying is, if you remain with me, I'm going to share everything with you that I have. I mean, aren't you even curious to go, I want to know what he's got to share with me. What's Jesus going to share with me? Some of you said, I've tried the abiding thing. Maybe it's worth a fresh visit. Jesus is promising that if you remain tethered to him and you open your heart's posture towards him, there's going to be a shared nutrient system between his heart and your heart. For a brief moment, just consider how fruitful the life of Jesus actually was. This man was spirit-filled, God-aware, neighbor-honoring, and self-giving. This man led an incredibly fruitful life. And then he describes what happens to somebody when they place their faith in him and he sends his spirit into their life. This is from Galatians 5.22. Paul writes, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These, in other words, are descriptions of the life of Jesus. He says, if you abide with me, these things are going to begin to take over. These things are going to be sprouting up in your life. They're going to begin to give shape to who you are and to your reality. And it is Jesus' ambition and your destiny that your life be shaped around and conformed to the image of his son. God's desire for your life is that you would be transformed in your inner heart by the reality of Jesus' presence being shared with you. Right. The fruitfulness of Christianity comes by being tethered. We are called into a life that's not defined by the American dream, but it's defined by the kingdom of God. And let me assure you, they're different. They're really different. And Jesus says, man, the fruitfulness comes from abiding in me. My kingdom's different. The ones at the top aren't the stars. It's the ones who serve. But the ones who are looking for their life, they're not going to find it. But the ones who give it away, it's going to be this explosive discovery of newness. This is the fruitfulness of abiding with Jesus. Part three, the truth, the invitation, the fruit, and the truth. Look at verse five. Verse five says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing. Glance at verse 9. And as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. I do not want you to miss the gravitas of what Jesus is talking about here in verse 5 without appearing to be too dramatic. In a very real way, these are the differences between life and death, according to Jesus. At least here in the West, there's this baked-in assumption that we can pretty much do anything if we work hard enough, if we get a little bit lucky, if we have the right connections. There are no limits. In fact, when you heard verse 5 read again and you looked at verse 9, you might have said to yourself, come on, Jesus, a little bit of hyperbole, especially in verse 5. Because, of course, we're thinking to ourselves, there are all sorts of things that we can do without Jesus. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Come on, Jesus. 
You know that we can do all sorts of things. I could brush my teeth without Jesus. I could pay the bills without Jesus. I can decide to go to medical school without Jesus. I could even come to church without Jesus, right? But there are important moments in our lives, I think, when the veil is pulled back. And you begin to see things a little bit differently. I've had a couple of those moments in my life, and if you've lived long enough, you probably had a couple of those moments in your life. A very small one that pulls back the veil of control, that I can pretty much do anything with my strength and my power and my youthful energy. I would, this is probably about 10, 11 years ago. We lived in Boston. We are in our ninth year in San Diego now. We're East Coasters originally. We love the city. Had some friends over who were working on a project for, for me. I was the coffee guy, all right? I'm the, listen, I'm the sign guy. I'm the coffee guy. <laughs> like, these guys are doing the real work. They're building this beautiful uh, farm uh, kitchen table for us. We still have it. And these guys were in a woodworking school, and I said, hey, can, can you come and help me figure out how to build this? I'll get your coffee, and I will be good at it. So they're working on the table. I'm on a coffee run. Starbucks is near the house, and it's I'm 200 yards. And so I go over to Starbucks, start walking back across the street, and I hear traffic coming to the right. It's early in the morning, just one car. And this is what Bostonians do. I still would do this if I was in the city today. You don't stop for the traffic, all right? This is just kind of marks the personality of somebody who lives in Boston. Californians are very different. One time I tried to cross the street with a group of young adults from Redeemer, the church that, that uh, launched us. We were out in Orange County. We were visiting somebody, and we were, I was like, let's just go across the street. And they're like, what are you doing? I was like, we're just going to cross right here. And they're like, no, 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 we got to go down to the crosswalk. I didn't understand like, that jaywalking was a real thing because that's not how Bostonians do it. We go, the car's going to stop. I have many friends who are literally like, I don't care if I get hit, I'm going to walk. Now, that day, I had that mentality. I've got four or five coffees, and I'm like, they're going to stop. They're going to stop. I'm walking. I'm not even going to look. Bostonians don't even look. They don't even give you the eye. Like, you're going to slow down? No, no. We don't even pay attention. So we got to this yellow line, and I just sensed the car speeding up. And I was like, they're not going to stop, but neither am I. So I just took another step right to the yellow line, got right to the yellow line, and something primal inside of me said, they don't see you, you better stop. And I stopped literally both feet on the yellow line. The car went 40 miles an hour right past me, could have touched the window. And I looked up and said, what the heck just happened? And I realized it's called solar glare. Solar glare was really real at that moment on that street. He could not see me or she could not see me. So I would have walked out there thinking, they're going to stop. This is what we do in our city. And I would have been hit, sent flying because of that moment. And I went back kind of shaken. And I said, I think I almost got hit by a car. I, I, I almost died. You know, in that moment, little moments like that, cancer diagnosis, a pandemic, a child who walks away from faith. Big decisions and big dreams that don't quite come to life in your life, in your heart, your family. Those are those moments where you go, man, I don't have as much control as I thought. The gap between my life, my stability, my control, and my end is this thin. Listen, for me, it's two lines on the yellow, it's two lines right there on the street. That's how thick the line is between life and death. There are moments where you feel that, and you start to see it, and you start to sense it. 
Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I cannot grow those beautiful things called the eulogy virtues, the best parts of the human character, what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit, apart from Jesus. I can choose to function a little bit more like a Christmas tree where we take beautiful ornaments and they shine and they glitter for a moment, but they don't bear fruit. How come? Because they're not organic, they're not rooted, and they are not connected to the vine. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Friends, secularism says to look inside for what is true, but Christianity says if you only look inside, you're going to be completely lost because sin has distorted the orientation of our hearts, or as Jesus put it, apart from me, you can do nothing but, okay, the truth. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love both things at once. Apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. My life is completely dependent. The line between life and death, at moments, I see it, I know it, I feel it, it's real. I'm not in control of this thing. But over here, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. What an incredibly beautiful promise. In the way in which the true Son of God is loved, when you abide in Him, you are also loved to that extent. What a phenomenal parallel. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. See, in Jesus Christ, we are the recipients of a love that is perfect, consistent, sacrificial. It's a love that is modeled in the cross in the way that the Father loves the Son, I love you. See, to be a Christian means that we position ourselves to remain, to abide, to set up shop in the love of God. And it's a love that sees us to the core. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I love that without, it's a love that's without reserve. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus is saying, abide in that truth. Abide there. Two more things. The character that that sort of tension produces. When you choose to stay, to remain in what Jesus is saying, when you make your home in, apart from me, I can do nothing, and you are loved in the exact same way and to the exact same extent that Jesus Christ is loved, the result ought to be genuine humility and deep gratitude, yes? That ought to be the result of Christianity. Your life ought to be marked by such real, genuine humility. I know who I am. I'm completely dependent. Like, unless I'm tethered to the vine, you're not going to get the good stuff. I can't produce it. I don't have enough winsomeness. I don't have enough giftedness. And guess what? I'm just aging day by day. I'm not going to be here in 100 years. One of the most sobering statements I've ever read, 100 years, all new people. 100 years, all new people. Unless I abide in the vine, I just can't give you anything substantial. But at the exact same time, you are so deeply loved. Isn't that an incredible combination that shapes the character of people? We have so much giftedness without character. Christianity says character first. The gospel gives you genuine humility and deep affection because you know that you're abiding in this space of tension 
Look who I really am, but look how much I'm really loved. One writer said, abiding involves a growing sense of weakness. I like that. Abiding involves a growing sense of weakness. I have to abide. I'm just not going to make it. But I'm so loved, even though I'm so dependent. Right? Production of real character. And then finally, the goal. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. See, so the goal of abiding isn't securing my best life now. It's not about raising our self-esteem. It's not about reaching our spiritual potential. It's not about asking Jesus to be our life coach. It is about honoring him with everything we've got, giving all that you have to all that he is, the glory of God, and our joy. That's the goal of abiding. I want my life to give God glory, and it's going to fill me up with more joy than I can ever imagine. Abiding in Christ looks like honoring, and it looks like obedience. Abiding is lip service without the decision to follow and obey. I've got three children, and of course, they're the pastor's kids. They are never disobedient, ever, okay? Parenting is real. And let's suppose that I invite them into, of course, our lives and our home, begin to share life with them. They're welcome to abide, but let's say we're going to stay, especially as they get into the teen years. I've got two of them who are in middle school already. Teenage years are coming full bore. They say, I'll abide with you, but I'm going to abide my way. I'm going to live life my way. And they give lip service to the way in which we want to structure our home. They say, sure, I'll stay here, I'll eat your food, I'll be a part of your little kingdom, but I'm going to live in which, the way in which I want to live. Does that honor the father or the mother, even though there's abiding taking place, shared space, shared time, shared home? It doesn't honor the father at all. Obedience is such a big part of Christianity. It's not the starting point, but it is a huge point. And what we're going to call practicing the way of Jesus in real time in real community, figuring out how to have a real way of life that's based on the gospel. Obedience, honor, glory, and fullness of joy. The picture that comes to mind for me is being out to eat. The waitress comes around or the waiter comes around, and your cup is just getting a little bit full, but then you take a sip, and then they fill it back up, and then they come back around. They want to keep filling your cup, and you can say, hey, 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 hold on. My cup is already full. My heart's already full. I don't need to be filled up with money or power or approval. God has already filled me up with a fullness of joy that I can't find anywhere else. This is what abiding is about. It's about a heart that says, I want to practice the way of Jesus. I want to stay connected to him. I'm not going anywhere because there's nowhere else that's better. There's nothing else that's going to fill me up. I want to abide in Christ. And can I say, as I close, abiding is not a program. There are things that we're going to learn together and structure and host. But at the same time, see, abiding is the program. 
okay? Discipleship is the program. We can't fabricate that, but we can cast a vision and we can go in that direction. Apart from him, we can do nothing but abiding with him as the good stuff. I'm excited to lead you there. Hope you want to come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the invitation, the gospel subpoena to come and to abide in Christ. Well, there's a lot of beautiful truth and hard truth captured in those 11 verses. But it's truth that can set us free. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Which means I can't tether myself to money and think I can do everything. Or tether myself to my family and think I've got it made. Or build a beautiful business or reputation and think, I've got the ingredients for a good life. For Jesus, from his own words, from his own mouth, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We are dependent. We are needy. We are broken. We are sinners. But you love us. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. Come and abide with me. I will sustain you. I love you like the son is loved by the father. But what an invitation. And so we pray that as we sit right now, before we sing, that we would think deeply about this principle of abiding. Have we given you a handshake and just moved on? Or are we tethered to that vine? Lord Jesus, lead our church in that direction, the abiding direction. We want more of you. We want more of your spirit. We need more of the spirit of Jesus Christ being produced in us. When a community lives like that, people around us feel the impact. Transformation begins to take place and more people begin to abide. Or would you deepen our vision as a church to be a place where we make and mature followers of Jesus for the glory of God, for the fullness of our joy, and for the goodness of others? I believe that is your heart and we want to step into it in a new and fresh way. So open our eyes, open our hands, bend our knees. Posture of repentance and confession is a beautiful thing. But lift our heads to know that there's no condemnation in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.